what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. Online sports betting has exploded in the years since Ontario launched single-game sports betting. So too has the pushback. The province's gambling regulator is proposing to ban celebrities from internet gambling ads to try and reduce the risk for young people. All of that, not to mention the Stanley Cup and NBA playoffs. And we thought it's a good time to rebroadcast our episode from last fall on sports betting addiction. Feast of heart-stopping moments from NHL, NBA, and NFL games on Sportsnet, TSN, and Fox. And let's not forget MLB. On the seventh pitch, Harper hits one in the air, left center field, back it goes! Harper, the swing of his life! With that swing, courtesy of FS1, Bryce Harper punched the Phillies' statistically improbable ticket to the World Series. If you'd bet on it earlier this season you'd have made a lot of money. This week, we're diving into pro sports because of a seismic change in pro sports betting. In 2021, a federal law that legalizes single-event sports betting at the national level came into effect. The law allows the provinces to regulate and control regional markets. In April, Ontario became the first province to take the plunge. And if you listen to sports talk radio or watch games, you're hearing a lot of this. Try in-play betting at Bet365. In-play betting lets you make a bet while the game's still being played. Download one or many of those apps. And in hockey, you can bet on everything from how many assists Connor McDavid gets by the 38th minute of the game to how many times Connor Hellebuck taps his water bottle in the goal crease. It's that granular. Deloitte estimates that within five years, the legal market for sports betting in Canada could be as much as $28 billion. For the provinces, a massive windfall. For people with a gambling problem, a catastrophe waiting to happen. You must be Noah. Yeah, I yeah. am. Pleased to meet you. Just ask Noah Weinberg. He's 48, drives a bus for OC Transpo. Noah is married with two daughters and two sons, including one from a previous relationship. Oh, God, you've prepared for me. Thank you. My wife. (laughs) French Canadian. The family lives in this two-story home in Orleans, an Ottawa suburb. Nice place to to raise kids. It's a home Noah almost lost because of huge gambling debts. Hi, my name is Noah, and I am a compulsive gambler in recovery. And I've now celebrated my first time in my life four years of abstinence. And I'm in uncharted grounds now for myself. His story is a cautionary tale for anyone at risk of getting caught up in the euphoria of sports betting addiction. Noah Weinberg, welcome to White Coat Blackheart. Thank you kindly for having me. 
your first introduction to sports gambling for money came when you were 16. Tell me about that. First, uh, first two years of high school, uh, Ontario government came out with ProLine, which was a basically it was parlay betting before parlay betting was popular, and it was you had you were forced to pick three games, and early on, if you couldn't get three wins, when then your ticket was void. So, probably saved me from myself actually in the early time, but it also got me into the much heavier desire to play and to keep playing and to always have something waiting at the end of the line. I just never could do it like the others. It's not the winning or the losing. It's the anticipation. It's that moment waiting for the result. Can you say more about the moment? It's just anticipation. It's sitting there and you're you're wishing or you're hoping whether the basket goes in or the the score in overtime or the Kawhi Leonard versus the perfect example that really versus is. Philly in the playoffs and the it amount, bounced off the rim the like four times that changed hands in that moment. For the win! Nobody would be able to put a number on it and nobody would believe that number, but I guarantee you that was rather significant. It's that moment that's exciting. So you're excited. What are you feeling inside as you're waiting to find out, you know, does the ball go through the uprights or does the, the ball swish through the hoop? I've already in my head have another hundred bets that I want to lay with the <gasps> amount of money that's going to come out if that actually goes through the hole. Then the mad brain has to start scrambling on how I'm going to find money and what I'm going to do to get it. How would you find money and what would you do to get it? I've done, <laughs> it's not a proud thing to talk about, but I've done all sorts of nonsense. Uh, fraud, insurance fraud, credit card fraud, kiting checks, borrowing money against telling family or friends that money's coming in, I'll be able to pay it back, never paying it back. Uh, I've, I've done robberies that didn't involve hurting people, but that was the rationale in your head back then. Nobody gets hurt, but at the end of the line, somebody's always getting hurt. How much have you won? Uh, up and down over my entire life. I'd say the biggest win would have been 25000 in one night, in one bet. And I think that 25000 was gone by 7 a.m. So when did it become a problem? Becomes a bigger problem in my early 20s. I met my, my the mother of my first son, and we got pregnant, and... I'd convinced myself that my dad leaving at an early age and all that stuff would, it could be fixed. Like it would, I could do this. I could force this. So I went and saw my dad. I borrowed money to put a down payment on a house, but I also niched away probably half. And that in my mind was, okay, I'm going to gamble with that. I'm going to be able to support this lifestyle that I'm taking on that I, I wasn't ready for. She wasn't ready for. It wasn't the smartest move in the world. And, so I would I would study the stats, the teams, where they were playing, who they were playing, weather, all those things. There's third-party sources that can subscribe to their service, and they'll, they'll give you their bets, and they'll post their statistics. Some even do a guarantee where they'll give you free picks if they didn't get it right. And then you spend the next seven hours watching each one of those outcomes. You don't watch the game. You don't even like the game. You um, drive a bus for a living. How did sports betting interfere with that? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad things are, uh, I'm glad I saved my career. They gave me the opportunity to go and take care of myself and kind of get a last chance agreement, if you will. But uh, attendance wise was a disaster. I, I, once I once stopped the bus with people on it and ran into a bar to see the final shot 
of a game that I was waiting to have a big outcome on. Um, so three minutes running in, we're looking at the screen, people are outside waiting, and it wasn't a good result. So didn't come back too happy either in irresponsible behavior. Noah's journey to recovery had its bumps. One was when his eldest son wanted to change custody. And the death of his dad sent Noah into a spiral. I caught up to my worst ever within a month. I, I was probably 60, 65,000 on the hook within five months of my dad's passing. And you burnt through his inheritance, the inheritance. I never even really saw it, to be honest with you. It was, it was bored against or paid away in advance of it actually coming in. I, I was already betting more than what was going to come in. I knew I was done for. And I certainly wasn't in a position now with three kids, my wife, to go do that again. And so that was the first time I even, I, mean, I thought about killing myself. I thought about the best thing I could possibly do for everybody here is I just come out of the picture and at least my wife will get the house. The kids will probably be better looked after without all of this hanging over their heads. But we had a family member kill himself on my wife's side three or four years prior. And I remember what that did to the kids. And, and I'm still now watching that play out and it breaks my heart. And that's the only reason it didn't happen. It really is how far how far down were you at that point uh i was probably about 75k owing and i knew that our relationship was at an all-time low because i was out all the time i knew she knew but i kept lying and then i mean there's only so many times you can tell lies right they pick up on it pretty quick and i was on my way to my therapist and uh, my wife called and said would you like me to join you and I knew in that moment that, okay, it's an, it's time. We sat down, she came in to the therapist and I laid it all out. I told her all the numbers. I told her all the <laughs> the accounts, the lies that it had started when my dad passed. And I think that's where a lot of it ends up being the hardest, right? It's the years of lies. Noah's counselor suggested he check himself into hospital at Hotel Dieu Grace Healthcare in Windsor, where he could work not just on his addiction, but the emotional issues that fuel it. He gave his wife his cell phone, passwords, and financial control, and checked himself into hospital for a three-week stay. Noah was discharged from hospital in 2018, right before Thanksgiving. Over the ensuing 18 months, he paid back a lot of what he owed. That's not the only thing that changed. I talk more openly and more frankly with people now than ever and my relationships with people are so much better because of it i often catch people off guard with how honest i am about it i don't talk in shame about it anymore and every other time i did any kind of recovery i always took it for granted or put it on a shelf so there's always a potential for relapse absolutely and i think that's why this recovery has been my best yet because i've faced it every day i don't ever put it on the shelf We'll be right back. I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And I'm Harvinder Vadva. We're the hosts of Inappropriate Questions, and we're back with Season 3. With some fantastic guests, we break down questions like... Is asking where are you from appropriate small talk? Is it okay to ask a co-worker how much do you make? Should you ask a polyamorous person, do you get jealous? Inappropriate Questions Season 3. Available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You're listening to White Coat Blackheart. In April, Ontario became the first province to launch single-game sports betting. This week, we're looking at the growing risk of sports betting addiction, something Noah Weinberg knows all too well. This was remarketed. <laughs> Didn't have much of a choice for that. Yeah, no, it's very simple. Single home. But single homes are impossible to have now. Right? Yeah, this is, you don't want to lose this. No. Oh, it's a beautiful place. This is our oasis. Noah gives me a tour of the house he came perilously close to losing. That was four years ago. This house and the family that lives here are the main reasons why he'd like to stay away from gambling. My daughter's rooms. I'm heavily involved in their lives now, which is amazing. And I um, coach hockey for my 13-year-old son. And then most recently, apparently I'm going to be coaching basketball. Do you you ever talk to your kids about your gambling? They all know. They all know all about it. Very familiar with it. Um, Four years into his own recovery, Noah worries about the impact of sports betting on young people just getting started. I fear for a lot of people, especially young kids, for the amount of access that they have. Some of them are probably just sitting there waiting till they're 19 to be able to to do it legally. Some of them I know are doing it illegally. I see it on the buses. I see kids placing bets all the time. So I can't help but see myself in that. And and that scares me for them. Um, I posted online that I'd hit my first time in my life, four years, and I had people from work reach out. And some people who had just developed problems during COVID. And to me, that is incredibly frightening. Do you think that it's easier today for somebody like you to get into trouble or for a newbie to get into trouble than, say, 15 or 20 years ago? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not even a question. You just pick up a handheld phone, every single mobile device with data, just the advertising. You can't sit down to watch anything on TV and get through an hour without watching multiple gambling ads. When you look at those ads, what do you see? What bothers me is as a government, as a society, we said, okay, you can't do that anymore with cigarettes. You can't make it look like it's great because it's bad for you. And even in alcohol, you can't actually drink. You can show the can, you can show people having a good time, but you can't show them drinking in a commercial. But yet this vice, we're going to take full bore and shove it down your throats and give everybody the right to use their platform. And we're going to get your your historical Canadian heroes like Connor McDavid, Wayne Gretzky. Because every bet with bet MGM has a potential for greatness. If I go back when I was 18, Wayne Gretzky gambles, awesome. Then it suddenly become okay? It's not just okay. They're telling you it's great. If you can do it in periodic ways and handle it, fantastic. But nothing, no vice is pushed on anybody that hard. And there's little things that they could do. I mean, throw a counter ad out there once. I think there is one company actually that did an ad where he's able to set his limits. Everything is through iGaming. So if one person flags one account, that should go across the board. But it isn't right now. It's not. So that means that if you're if you if you decide you've gotten in over your head and one with one gaming platform, you're you can just go to the next one every time. And that's what I did. That's that's how it kept snowballing. And it's not just gaming ads. They've blurred the line now because now you have on sports talk radio and on the games themselves, you actually have gambling segments. Yes, absolutely. You can't even see a score now without the odds and how the odds change as the game's going on. Okay for adults that are able to make those decisions, but you're 18, you're 19, you just won $50 on the Super Bowl with a buddy at a party and you like that feeling and then all of a sudden, oh, I can start doing that on my phone more regularly. I can get that feeling every day. And tell me how in-game sports betting 
helps you build that feeling in the middle of a game. If the score is 3 nothing, and you're sitting there and you think, oh, I'm not going to be able to win this one, oh, I can bet heavier that they'll score at least two goals and I'll be able to recoup or break even by the end of the game. So that's why they love the in-sports betting because gamblers are gambling against themselves now. The house just takes a cut of everybody's money. It doesn't care what bet you made. It really doesn't. More bets made by sports gamblers likely means more work for the counselors who treat clients like Noah. Hi there. Hi, I'm Brian Goldman from CBC. Nice to meet you. Are you Amanda? Can I go this way? Okay. Rita Wood is a not-for-profit outpatient counseling and treatment center in Ottawa that specializes in substance use, behavioral addictions that include gambling and mental health issues. Noah Weinberg has received treatment here. So this is Rita Wood. Yeah, this is the, the hallway. <laughs> this is the hallway that we're in right now. This is where we have all of our individual counseling sessions. So you can see here, like the rooms are really like a nice size. Now this is what we call an in-person suite because we do everything virtually now. I'll show you the, the other offices. Amanda Laprade is an adult addiction and problem gambling counselor. Here at Rita Wood, she does individual counseling as well as group sessions for as many as 12 or 13 clients at a time. She says mental health issues are at the root of most problem gambling in clients she sees. Amanda Laprade, welcome to White Coat Blackheart. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me here. So how common is it these days uh, to see clients with sports betting addiction? I would say from what I see, the clientele who walk in through Rita Wood doors, um, maybe about 20 or 30% around there. Um, any sense of a trend yet? Somewhat. I don't think not to the extent that we are probably going to see in the future. So you are worried about the future? Yeah. I am concerned about what's going to happen in the future, especially around young men. I work specifically with folks who are 25 and older. Sometimes I'll work with people who are in their early 20s. I'm hearing from the clients that I see that the advertisements are becoming extremely aggressive. And now that you can do single bet gambling during a game, that's where we're seeing a lot of the issues. Before, you would just bet on the outcome of the game. Um, now we're seeing a comparison to people who go to the casino and play slot machines. You've said that single-game sports betting is potentially highly addictive. Walk me through how that is, why that is. So what you have to understand when it comes to gambling, it's not so much the, the outcome of the bet that's pushing the person who's gambling to want to continue. It's the adrenaline. It's what's happening in the brain. Right? When we think about it from a neurobiological perspective, the amount of dopamine released in the brain, just waiting for the outcome of the result, the level is just as high as when the actual result of the bet comes through. And so it's that rush, that high that I want to keep on chasing. So when that is happening over and over and over again in one single game, this is where the problem is. Tell me a little bit more about the clients you see. Do they have a pure gambling addiction or is there usually something else going on in their lives and their psyche as well? Mm. So that's a really great question. So when I first started working here at Rita Wood, the folks that I would see would present solely with, with problem gambling and, and also some other mental health issues. Um, mental health issues and addiction kind of go hand in hand. You don't really get one without the other. 
as of late, especially since the pandemic, this is where I've been seeing more people present with other addictions, especially alcohol and cocaine and, and depression, anxiety are usually across the board. I'm a strong believer that any addiction isn't the problem, it's the solution to the problem, right? So when we start to look at what was the problem in the person's life, and that usually leads to you know, mental health issues, it leads to trauma. You've said that in contrast to some other addictions, you know, substance use, it can be hard to spot gambling addiction. There's usually no physiological difference. The financial vulnerability is where the most concern is. People who struggle with problem gambling are the highest risk of suicide than any other addiction. Why? Because of the the devastation that happens that comes with that, it can be debilitating. And in the mind of a person who gambles, well, I'm going to continue to gamble to try to win back my losses. One more. One more bet. Oh, but it's never just one more. It's never just one more. And it's never enough. So what's the treatment? So our group is a 16-week program, predominantly presents with psychoeducation about problem gambling. So we'll do things. We'll talk about randomness odds, kind of just helping clients understand that language. We'll talk about like independent outcomes. A random event has nothing to do with the previous random event or the one coming afterwards. So for example, if I flip a coin, and if I flip a coin, let's say nine times, and every single time I flip that coin, it's with tails. So what are the chances that when I flip the coin the 10th time that it's going to be tails? Yeah, it's like uh, four people. I work a night shift and four people come in with a heart attack. Uh, the, a fifth person comes in with chest pain and I say they couldn't possibly have a heart attack because the other four had one and, and I'm due to have a patient who doesn't have a heart attack. Well, that's, that's faulty thinking. Exactly, exactly. We also talk about the gambler's fallacy, which is, you know, that the belief that I am due for a win because I've had a series of losses. Again, it doesn't matter that you've had a series of losses because every single bet is independent on its own. We also bring in a skill-based component into our into the group therapy. So learning about what our triggers are and how do we cope with our triggers. What would you like to see governments do to help reduce gambling addiction, reduce the risk of it? I think that we need to have stronger restrictions around advertisements. Just like how the UK doesn't show any ads before 9 p.m. during a sports game, I think that we need to follow suit. I think that treatment providers and the Responsible Gambling Commission needs to have just as aggressive ads around the harms of gambling. And it would be really helpful to have more of like a wraparound care for clients. What does that mean? So almost like a one-stop shop where we can support a client in all aspects of their, their mental health and addiction needs. Do you think there's enough of uh, the treatment facilities like this in the system right now to meet the needs of all the problem gamblers uh, who are here and likely to come in the next few years? No, no, I don't. Other than, than Rita Wood, the only other group that, that people can go to is Gamblers Anonymous in Ottawa. And so a lot of the concern and you know uh, what, what has made it heartbreaking in some ways about referring clients out is not knowing where to refer them to. How 
would you compare the resources that are set aside for the treatment of people who have a problem with gambling uh, compared to the revenues that the province is likely to make from sports betting? I can tell you that it's a pretty, it's a small, small, small amount. Um, it's peanuts. And we need more. We, we need more money. We need more money from the casinos, from OLG. We need more money from the government. I've heard that the potential market in, in Canada, like this, this is set to explode. I've heard that the potential market in the next five years could be $28 billion a year in sports betting. Your eyes just popped. <laughs> How worried are you about what you could be heading into in the next five years? Oh, it's really concerning to hear that number and, and to know that we're not seeing any, any of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm really worried that the younger these clients begin gambling, even if it's just with gaming, because usually it starts there with the gaming and then it goes into real life sports betting. We're just going to see an influx of, of people coming in. And if we start to get a wait list, which is very, very concerning, people who struggle with problem gambling are at the highest risk of suicide. So these people are going to be sitting on a wait list and you know they may not be alive when we pick up the phone to call them and invite them to come to treatment. That's the problem. I think that people are going to be dying and that's the sad truth. The sad truth that Amanda Laprade just talked about could have happened to Noah Weinberg. He's in recovery now, but he's paying attention to the rise in sports betting with growing alarm. What would you like to see now in terms of precautions? You, you've talked about, about limits on apps. That's one thing. The government should be obligated to do that to help you. The little thing at the end that says problem gambling, if they have a problem, they're there gambling. You think they need to have a commercial that tells a story like yours? Yeah. Well, and they do, right? You have the mad commercials that shows what drunk driving can do. You have... You have the counter ad that can really demonstrate what could wipe somebody out and what run an ad with the guy sitting there going, I'm not sure I want to continue living because I owe this much money. As long as I'm disappear, my family will be okay. Go through that moment and let people know what can really happen. I know so many families that get broken because of this and you can't inundate everybody without some sort of safety net. I mean, the, what this is going to be in five to 10 years is scary. It really is. There could be thousands of people like you in the next five years. There'll be tens of thousands, at least. Noah Weinberg, thank you so much for speaking with me, for telling your story so honestly. My pleasure. As I said, it's as much for me as it is for anybody else. This is part of my recovery, and I, I need to keep giving myself the tap on the shoulder every time, saying, don't forget what got you where you are. That report from Deloitte Canada that I mentioned off the top estimates the impact of sports betting on sports venue operators, gambling organizations, private media, and the government. What it doesn't do is measure its impact on the health and well-being of problem gamblers. That needs to change. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Blackheart was produced this week by our senior producer, Colleen Ross, with help from Sujata Berry, Jeff Goods, and Stephanie Dubois. Our digital producer is Ruby Buisa. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.